You can now hear Movie Heaven Movie Hell on Stitcher. Stitcher is ready on demand. Listen anytime, anywhere. Stitcher is an award-winning free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discover from 20,000 news, entertainment, and sports shows. You can also create your own custom playlists. Stitcher is available on iOS, Android, Nook, iPad, and in over 4 million car dashboards. It's on demand and it's on the go. No downloading, no syncing, no wasted memory. You can stream your favorite podcasts from Stitcher. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at stitcher.com or in the App Store. And please leave us a review and rating on Stitcher. Thank you. Welcome to Movie Heaven, Movie Hell with me, Simon Aiken, and... And I'm Keith Isles, and we are both independent filmmakers that enjoy discussing established directors' films from the history of cinema, uh, where we each pick a film that we like and a film that we don't like so much from the said director's uh, body of work. And uh, it's actually been a little while since we've uh, we've done one of these, because we've done uh, a few other episodes on other aspects of uh, films and movies haven't we <laughs> we have yes yes it's uh, it has been a while since we've we t- tackled a, a director's body of work but uh you know we thought well this is this is a director we sort of we've known and you know we've we've seen his work as i guess as we've grown up really as uh well, yeah, I mean, this this guy was inspirational on the uh, on my journey to film school for sure because um, you know his film started coming out at the time that I started thinking to myself, "What do, I want to go to film school? What am I going to do with my life? I want to go to film school, so let's start looking into this." And uh, yeah, this guy was definitely um, uh, you, you know a a touchstone on that for sure. So, for those who haven't read the podcast description, who's the director? Okay, so we're looking at the work today of Peter Jackson, um, the New Zealand-based film director uh, that started making short films on Super 8 when he was a kid, Um, you know, grew up as a a real fan of movies, Um, and by his own admission, actually always intended to be a uh, visual effects artist rather than a filmmaker as such. Um, but but obviously he now says that he's a frustrated visual effects artist and, uh, and, and you know, a very good filmmaker. Mm. <laughs> I remember my first memory of, of sort of know, knowing who Peter Jackson was. Uh, I used to work at a news agency, used to do a paper round, and I used to get to read all the magazines and stuff there. And I remember his work used to pop up quite a bit uh, in you know magazines like Fangoria, and there used to be an, another magazine called Action, which was about, oh, yeah. about yeah. action films and stuff like that. Yet somehow his work would end up in there. So I remember for a long time seeing stills uh, of bad taste. Yeah, I, I used to get that magazine as well. I know mm. the one you mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I didn't have to buy it. I just read it when I was at, at work, and it was what, fine. and put it back on the shelf. Yeah, put yeah. It back on the shelf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't have to keep it. It was like a library. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> hey, hey, I, I, I think Borders Books went out of business because of me, because <laughs> I, I used to do exactly the same thing. So mm. for, for, for many a year, yes. <laughs> That's right, yeah. So, um, but I, I think the first film of his I saw was, um, was Heavenly Creatures. Oh, was, really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it was, it was that weird thing because he did uh, his first three films, Bad Taste, Meet the Feebles, and... And Brain Dead. Uh, Brain Dead, or as it's yeah. known in America as Dead Alive. Oh, right. Okay. It's one of those alternative title films. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I, saw, I saw Heavenly Creatures first. Um, I think my parents uh, rented it. And um, kind of a, an interesting film, uh, but um, I got to see Bad Taste finally on on VHS, and um, I actually own a copy of it on VHS. <laughs> ah, right, yes, good old VHS. Uh, I think it's the only V. Well, I think I've got two VHSs. That and uh, an old Channel Four program I taped uh, off it years ago called Movie Virgins, which you can't find anywhere. Uh, but that was oh, right. movie versions just for a quick uh, nobody knows what it is uh, it came out in 98 when I was starting to learn about filmmaking and it showed these two filmmakers one who was had a budget of about a million and there was another guy who had no money and it sort of just showed these two guys sort of um, you know making their film it was just great because you know we didn't have uh, DVDs and commentaries and making of uh, documentaries on these DVDs so uh, it, you know it was kind of like my film school yeah and I, I remember at the time um, I remember people who had worked on other productions where they had been filming they had filmed other productions being made but in the end they went for these two as the focus of the series but I digress no, no. I mean, I, th- I think actually uh, on that subject, that's quite interesting because one of the things about um, Peter Jackson as a filmmaker mm. is he is a big proponent of home media, um, so much so that he does incredibly detailed behind the scenes um documentaries on most of his films that, that that he actually produces himself. You know, it's mm. not it's not a thing that the studio. Um, you know, like many of these things, hire to to come in and do. These are things that he, as a a fan, you know, he grew up very much. He said in the sort of laser disc day of things before mm. DVDs even. And um, you, you you know, he was always one that lights uh, commentaries and behind the scenes featurettes and all of those sort of things. So as a result, um, he's you know, when when you now buy them on Blu-ray or 4K or whatever, um, they come with an absolute you, you know, uh, abundance of um, behind-the-scenes documentaries, retrospectives, um, how to, you know, A to B comparisons, all of that sort of thing. So anyone, I think anybody out there that's, uh, you know, listening to this podcast that might be, y- y- you know, uh, an inspiring filmmaker themselves, um, you, you know, you can learn, like you said about that program was very much film school for you at the mm, time. Yeah. Um, you can learn a great deal from any of the um, any of the Blu-rays or DVDs that uh, that Peter Jackson releases, because um, as I said, that, that they've often got 
more you know even longer than his films <laughs> the, the the behind the scenes um uh material and he's really detailed on that cuz cuz you know he, like like i said he's a big he's a big film geek himself and and loves all that stuff so um you you know they're definitely worth checking out um you know, I really should do a show, shouldn't I, about this? <laughs> it is a minefield out there. Keith. It is. It, it's, it's a home minefield. media minefield, indeed. <laughs> it's, um, but yeah, and I mean, I was lucky enough. Uh, my local cinema, um, they they did actually get in for midnight showings and stuff. Quite a lot of um, Peter Jackson's films back in the day. So uh, I was fortunate enough to see those those really low budget New Zealand films that he made, like Bad Taste, etc. Um, you know, you know, uh, projected on the big screen. And uh, I, you know, I remember being very, you know, I mean, they're all kind of silly, but. Um, Ever, ever so amusing and entertaining and imaginative. I mean, you know, the guy really is somewhat of a visual, um, you, you know, filmmaker and is very good at telling stories that way and, uh, you, you know, providing entertainment, which has, of course, led on to, um, well, the career that we're about to discuss, I guess. But, yes. um Yeah. But, I mean, also <laughs> he's an inspiration to other filmmakers because, you know, he went out there and he made bad taste himself. He didn't have a studio back in him. He just went out there and he did it himself. And it took him four years to do, you know, filming on weekends and, you know, whenever people were available and, you know, just kept at it for four years. And uh, that's a hell of a commitment. It is. And so, you know, and then for it to do so well internationally, because there's never any guarantee that a film's going to do well. But, uh, you know, he put a lot of passion, a lot of heart into that first film. And, you know, it's still this. You can still see it to this day, which is great. And it's just he's built and built, built upon it Um, to the point, of course, where he went and made Lord of the Rings, which was a massive success. Absolutely. You know, and sort of made him this mega director. Yeah, no, he's certainly one of the uh, one of the big directors out there um, <laughs> making movies. Yes, mm. <laughs> I don't know what else more to say about the, the guy. Really, I mean, it's it's great that he's stayed in New Zealand. He's never had the urge to move to um, America to Hollywood. Yes, uh, yeah. the fact that he's worked with the same people for many years. He's been very loyal to to actors and crew who've worked with him. Uh, he's started several companies, including a Weta Workshop. Yes, and who you know have and helped a lot of other filmmakers get their films made. Well, that's that's the thing. I mean, even though you know he, he's uh, he's an Academy Award winner, etc. Himself, he, mm-hmm. he doesn't so, sort of bow or pander to the. Um, the Hollywood model at all. I mean, you know, he's one of those guys, he's not comfortable wearing a tuxedo, you know, <laughs> often he'll turn up at things in, uh, you know, sandals and a t-shirt or whatever. Um, and uh, like you said, he's, 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 he's very much been a pioneer of the, uh, the vi- visual effects industry, um, you know, establishing wetter, which uh, work in, you know, both practical and, and digital effects um, initially. And um you, you know, uh, obviously, he's very lucky that he's got a really good working relationship as well with his spouse, 
um, Fran Walsh. Uh, Fran Walsh, yeah, yeah who uh, who ov- obviously is a, is a big fan of the, a lot of the materials that he likes as well, and um, you know they 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 work on the screenplays um, etc. for these together, and I think you know uh, what w- what better what better life could you have if you're a, a passionate filmmaker that's able to sort of make films under your own rules if you like and work with the person that you share your life with in doing it i mean you know he's uh, he's got that enviable fantastic balance i think of of um you know an established career happy family life um and you know able to sort of keep the integrity in in making what he wants to make so um you, you know we can only laud him for that i guess <laughs> yes yeah you know yeah it's just it's great to see somebody sort of stay so humble you know when it, he you know could have, you know could have gone down like a james cameron route and you know start screaming that he's king of the world hey hey i like james i can't i can't hear <laughs> but i know what you mean yes yeah. in fact in fact it's interesting because um you, you, you know i guess in some respects you know with regards to the uh, pioneering technologies, etc., to move forward with film making. Um, Peter Jackson is kind of in that same bracket as James Cameron or George Lucas, you know, um, very much so. But 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 like you said, um, uh, you, you know, P- Peter Jackson's, yeah, he's, he's he certainly comes across in interviews as a um, an incredibly humble. Um, character and uh you know really really still um kind of a you know based in his home roots etc which which i think is nice yeah for sure yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh he's he's also i mean <clears throat> he also came along in that sort of uh his films that sort of came out in the in the in the sort of mid to late 90s uh very much you know fell under that um trend at the time that the likes of of Cameron and uh, Ridley Scott etc had where uh you know he would also release director's cuts uh, of many of his films so you'd get you know obviously the one that the studio had approved as the theatrical version but you'd also at some point get a uh, normally on on home media but you'd get um, an extended uh, edition mm. of his film as films as well uh, with with mixed results I, I i might add there yeah <laughs> as much as uh, i enjoy seeing uh his extended cuts i've I've never felt any of them were like should have been like the theatrical cut i think when it came to the theatrical cuts he he got it just right yeah i mean it is it is good fun to go back and like watch the extended cuts of Lord of the Rings, but I think I know Fellowship the Ring. It it actually suffered for being longer. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't like the extra material that was left that was put back in there for the um, the extended cuts because a lot of it, a lot of it was just repeating stuff we already seen or just making some scenes really long. Uh, but yeah. when it came to Two Towers and Return of the King, there was some really interesting stuff, but again i felt that uh the theatrical cuts were just right yeah yeah i mean it's nice that he you know these are available mm. uh when they come on home media and it's and it's great that you always 
are able to have both versions rather than him saying, oh, no, it's just the director's cut and the theatrical one isn't relevant now. You know, that's oh, the yeah. other good thing yeah. is 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 uh, he doesn't uh, he doesn't do it and sort of do it as an overwrite of the theatrical. He'll do it as a as a supplement yes. to the theatrical, which I think is the way that really as 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 a as a home media collector myself, that's that's kind of the way I want it. You know, I want uh, I want to be a completist. So I want to have all versions of the film, you know, not somebody telling me, oh, this is the definitive version and the other ones don't count anymore. <laughs> no n- naming no names, but you know what I mean. <laughs> well when it came to Lord of the Rings, um they were they were a series of films that my whole family would go to the cinema to see every Christmas, and for those three years it was it was it was great. And, you know, I always look forward to the next Christmas, the next Lord of the Ring films, because uh, you know at that point I was in my twenties and you know family out into the cinema, non-existent. You know, if I went to the cinema, I went with friends or hardly any family members so for all of us to go um it was great i mean my dad really wanted to go and see him and so we all went together and uh we tried to do that with the hobbit we went to see the first one together but it just wasn't the same (laughs) it just wasn't the same but uh you know as i say for three years there um me and my family, we went to see those films, Lord of the Ring films, you know, each yeah. time. And it was funny because uh, every time we went, the cinema seemed to get fuller to the point that when we went to see uh, Return of the King, we actually had to sit right up front because the oh. place was packed. And my mum suffers from vertigo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So all those scenes when um, they're attacking the, the, you know, the Nazgul or uh, swooping down and attacking the uh, the White Tower. Oh, <laughs> my poor mum. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I, I don't think the front, this is a personal opinion, you know, mm. this is a purely personal opinion, but I never think the uh, the front row really of any cinema is, is, a, is a great place to be. <laughs> I, I have to admit, if I, if I ever go to a film and uh, they're running low on seats and, you, you know, the only ones left are the ones in the in the front I tend to say oh I'll come back and see it another day then <laughs> a bit difficult when you've got your whole family with you though I kind of totally appreciate yeah <laughs> so, no <laughs> interesting you say that because I know Ben Woodyworth would disagree with you because I've been to the cinema with him quite a few times and he loves sitting at the front oh wow okay well, it depends on the cinema, I guess, but um, generally no, speaking. No, no, he, he just loves that experience of being fully immersed, that your your full view is just the screen and you're up close to it. And, you know, depending on the film, I think, I you know, I agree. I mean, I'm, I think I'm sort of more in the middle. <laughs> I like to sit more in the middle. Well, that's where I like to sit. Seat. Yeah, exactly. That's where I like to sit. I get, get yeah. that optimum space. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but as I say Ben Woody was loves sitting in the front. So. Oh well, I yeah. get. I guess if I ever go to the cinema with Ben, I'll uh, I'll talk to him about the film afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> as you should, Keith. You should. As you talk- should actually. Yeah, you should, should be never talk during a film. No, I agree. Hey, you never get me doing that. <laughs> Unless I'm telling someone off for talking during a film. But there you go. (laughs) So, uh, yes. 
But uh, no, no, he, he has had he has had a very interesting career, and um, you know, uh, generally speaking, a, a really good good uh, good catalogue of movies um, have, have come out of this guy, and uh, are still continuing to do so. So um, you know, good on him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's move on to our picks then. Uh, mm-hmm. So, Keith, what was your pick for movie heaven? <laughs> well, my, the, the 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 clue is actually in the title for movie heaven. Um, <laughs> I've actually picked. Uh, you mentioned it briefly there. Heavenly creatures from nineteen ninety four. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the the reason I've cho- chosen this one um, is I feel that this was a little bit of a uh, a, a change in his career. Um, up until that point, you know that the, the three films previously had been essentially splatter comedies. You know, they 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 they'd be there for for laughs very much, um, and uh, you, you know, and very effective and good at doing those as well. Um, Heavenly Creatures, on the other hand, uh, was was a complete departure on this. Um, you know, we're talking about a very very dark, twisted. Um, tale, uh, which you know, even more disturbingly, is 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 based on a true story of um, two girls, Juliet Holm and Pauline Parker, who are close friends who share a love of things like fantasy and literature. And um, I'm afraid there are spoilers in this podcast, folks. Uh, I, I forgot to mention at the beginning. <laughs> they, they they essentially within the story they 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 get very close to one another um, to the point that. Uh, the parents feel quite uncomfortable about this. And one of them is actually going to uh, move with her family to South Africa. And um, because of this, they actually conspire to kill Pauline's mother uh, when she tries to, um, y- you know, stop the girls seeing each other anymore. So it, it, it's, it's, it's quite a, a dark and twisted uh, film. It is, as I said, based on, on actual a true story that took place in uh, in New Zealand back in the 1950s. Um, and uh, yeah, I just thought that this was uh, a really, a really dark, interesting tale. The other thing about this is this was actually the, um, the debut film for uh, Kate Winslet and uh, Melanie Linsky. Uh, you know, two two now fairly well established actresses, especially Kate. <laughs> mm. And uh, y- you know, they were very young uh, in their career. They was they're in their well, they're playing teenagers. I guess they were either in their late teens or early twenties when they made this. And um, uh, y- y- you know, it-, it was just kind of an interesting uh, twisted study uh, of of the psychology with these girls. Um, it does delve into some sort of other themes as well. Um, it delves delves into, um, you know, the, the the sexuality of these girls and and whether whether they are or not in fact lesbians. I mean, at the point they're they're fourteen year old girls when we meet them in the in the film, um, and uh, obviously we're talking about this was nineteen fifty four. Um, you know, at the time. New Zealand was was quite conservative, and uh, you know this was back in the times when uh, homosexuality was actually considered like uh, y- you know a disease, sort of something wrong with you, you know. Um, and uh, so it deals a little bit with that as well in terms of the girls' relationships. But the thing that really puts the 
the Peter Jackson stamp on this and certainly, you, you know, where he would go with his career um, in the future is is the fact that uh, these girls, you know, they very much live in a fantasy world and we get to see this fantasy world. And this is, again, when... Um, he established Weta, his, his effects company, and uh, we get to see, y- y- you know, th- this, this world that they've created. Um, and within this world, there are lots of like uh, plasticine looking characters um, and, 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 you know, lots of visual effects that, that, that do this very convincingly. So, uh, so, so, you know, whereas many say, well, this isn't a typical Peter Jackson film. It's a lot different uh, thematically and story-wise to, to many of his other works, which I would agree with. Um, you, you know, on the other hand, this was something where he established um, some of the digital special effects where he was going to go obviously he'd done a lot of practical effects and splatter effects gore effects in his um in his in his previous films uh but you, you know this, this was an experiment in in some other areas there and the other thing that i think is really notable about this film and this was why i picked it really was the success of this film and the acclaim of this film did lead to um some of his other films actually happening in terms of many of the collaborations with with actors and uh, um, producers and other uh, people behind the scenes came out of an admiration for this film so um, you know you know I think I think the reason it deserved picking as movie heaven was because it was something that uh, that set his career on a certain path. Um, and also at the same time being something a little bit of a departure perhaps from from some of his other work by making this a you know a psychological drama as opposed to a fantasy film uh, although obviously it does as I've mentioned include some fantasy elements that that he put in um so yeah uh, and, and you mentioned Simon that this was actually the first Peter Jackson film you saw is that right yeah yeah I uh, I I have to say I am not a big fan of this film. Okay. No, that's f- that's I'm fair not, enough. Not a big fan of it and um I think it was the case of, um because I saw this and then I saw The Frighteners. And I think if I hadn't seen The Frighteners I wouldn't have been I wouldn't have been such a big Peter Jackson fan. Mhm. Uh, I might may not have gone back to to see his other work because um as much as I find the story interesting and compelling and the fantasy stuff I also found it I was just it just uh, there was something about it that just didn't get me I just I didn't enjoy it I think it's because because it's so much about these girls and then when they they commit the crime at the end when they kill the mother I think that just it, it just left a bad taste in my mouth I didn't oh very much yeah, no, no pun intended, eh? <laughs> to the point where I, I really didn't enjoy the film, and I, and and tell the truth as well, I thought the, uh, the, them being lesbians, I think was just a bit. It, it felt a bit of sensationalizing, you know, the story. Uh, having sort of for the podcast, sort of seen interviews, and you know, um. I think very much that the two girls were just very infatuated with each other, but I don't think they were lesbians. Mm-hmm. 
and I think it just you know for the story's sake they they added that and I you know it's yeah just not a big fan of it <laughs> no that's fair enough I mean that's that 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 well hey I always think these um these podcasts are more interesting when uh, when, when there's when there's a little bit of um, divisive uh, opinion on stuff. I mean, um, in terms of of leaving a bitter taste in one's mouth, I mean, uh, y- you know, uh, that's that's you know exactly what it's designed to do. I mean, it's it's an absolutely appalling um, act that these girls have, and I think the way he handles it um, because obviously. The, the the film starts where we see these girls sort of running back through the uh, through the forest, having committed this this act, and so so they're sort of blood splattered, and um, you know we're running, and we you, you know we come into this sort of oh you know what's happened oh dear, and then it essentially the rest of the film sort of flashes back to when, when these girls met and the the journey of that year or so that they had together and the summer that they went away with 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 the parents and um and, and you know came up with the, their stories and their mystery world and all this having both that's the other thing that's that's quite good with this uh they it deals with classism as well to an extent where um the t- the two characters come from very different backgrounds um uh you, you know Pauline's is 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 a very working class family whereas um uh, Juliet's is a much more affluent family, um, and uh, so it's so it, it you know it deals with that. But when you actually get to the the uh, act at the end where where this happens, um, I mean it is you know it, it's it's horrible beyond the horror of you, you know just the blood and and the and the way they do it it's it's actually horrible in so much as you, you know i think about how how on earth could these girls do this i mean this is this this is her mother who was a decent woman um you, you, you know there was no there was no child abuse or anything going on here you, you know they these were just normal parents raising their children in the best way they saw fit and um you know what they do is 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 horrible they were going to be ripped apart yeah. they were um the parents felt that they were bad for each other and they were you know because <laughs> this is this was their reaction to to being you know taken you know uh, being pulled apart yeah. you know separated but it again it's sort of like well they didn't have to be lesbians to for that to you know for them to feel like that yeah yeah i mean the, the the whole the whole lesbian thing i'm not you know like you said that's kind of alleged to and whatever and it's in there as a bit of a yeah. pl- bit of a story point but but you know at the end of the day so what you know i, I appreciate that's more probably more of a time of the a sign of a the time when it was set and b perhaps the time the film was made as well um yeah. you, you know whereas nowadays that's completely irrelevant and throwaway um, but, uh, you, you, you know, the, the oh, just, just, just the fact that, you, you know, regardless of their bond, that, that, that somebody could do this to their mother, um, you, you, you know, it, yeah. it's just, and that's the thing, the film does leave you 
uh, and maybe this is why people, you know, some people, don't, yourself included, don't like it. Is it is it does leave you cold? I mean, it's not one of his films mm. that leaves you with a with a warm fuzzy feeling at the end by any stretch. I mean, this is this is no. dark and this is nasty, and this you know actually happened. That's the thing that's you know this isn't just some some author's twisted um, you, 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 you know fantasy in their imagination, mind imagination yeah. no yeah. Th- this this actually did happen um as and that's that makes it truly horrific so so you know mm. some could argue is is this a horror film i think in in many respects it is because it you know what happens is absolutely horrific um uh but yeah I, you know i thought in terms of i thought it was a well-made film i mean this was the first time um you, you know that he had sort of a a full-on studio type budget because the other films were mm. independently financed um and uh you know very well made don't get me wrong um so yeah you, you know this this had support from the new zealand film commission and uh it ended up getting distributed by miramax um but uh, yeah, I, I I just I just think that this is always an interesting film in his in his catalog uh, because I feel that it did it, it does sit somewhat outside most of his films, and at the same time, it did pave the way. Uh, well, for certainly um, his collaboration with uh, uh, Robert Zemeckis and Michael J. Fox. Um, uh, as well as you know, certain other films as well, where they f- they said, "Oh, it's the maker of Heavenly Creatures," so you know we're on board. So, you know, I feel it is an important film in his in his catalogue, whether whether you personally like it or not. I think it's it's it mm. was definitely worth yeah. mention. <laughs> right, I I just want to talk about the uh, narrative device that this story uses, and uh, you brought it up about showing the end at the beginning. Yes. And then we we work back to that. Um, I have to say, I'm becoming not a big fan of that, and I think because a lot of the time, it it doesn't make the if you know what the destination is, sometimes the journey isn't that interesting. No, I agree. Yeah. So um, I've been seeing quite a few films lately where they they use this device, and I don't. F- Again, like any sort of narrative device, it it depends on how well you use it. But it's this. You know, again, it's just like showing the end of the story at at the beginning. I feel a lot. Of, I think. For me, sometimes I, f- I find that that the the director doesn't have much faith in their story if they need to open with this, you know, oh this big shocker, look, this is this is you know, look look what's happened here, and we're gonna we're gonna make our way there. But what do you think about uh, this narrative device? Oh wow! Uh, I mean, that's a big you, you know because there are some films that it works beautifully in, and there's some films that you, you know. Uh, not so well, and and obviously, you, you know, while we're recording this now in in uh, 2018, you know, th- th- this is a uh, this is a narrative device that's been used a, a, an awful lot, um, and uh, you, you know, and I've got to say, I've I've made short films and I've written a feature script where 
<laughs> I'm not going to lie. I use a similar narrative device. Um, I think one of the reasons that it gets used um, is because of the whole, you know, and 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 I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent because this is kind of a, a whole other podcast about, you know, script writing and, you know, uh, narrative theory and all that stuff but um y- y- you know if you if you read a lot of books or listen to a lot of um uh y- you know people about script writing whether it's Sid Field Robert McKee you know whoever you know the ones out there they they often talk about to grab the if you if you're putting out a script for spec you know um to 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 a studio or a production company you know to grab their attention on the um on the first page, you know, they say about, you know, your script needs to have a running start and needs to sort of pl- plunge you straight into the action. So as a result, I think often people will will put some sort of inciting event or climatic event in this case um, right at the beginning of their script to sort of draw someone in and then we'll backtrack and sort of go, you know, and bring us up to speed. And I think that's perhaps why it happens uh, quite often, um, maybe. But, uh, you you know, hey, you know, films don't need to be told in a linear fashion and sometimes they're bookended this way. So, you know. (laughs) Yeah. I I, I don't have anything against that. I just feel that sometimes when watching a story, I f- you feel that sort of opening does it a disservice. Yeah. I mean, yes, there are many many examples of films where that opening actually you know it works because the end of the day when you get to the ending it's sort of a twist yeah well th- those are the I mean the really clever ones and sorry I haven't sort of mm. because I didn't know you were going to ask this I haven't sort of put any thought into um having some examples here but um you you know the ones that are really clever are the ones that show you something like this and you think ah yeah okay so that's that's how it's going to end and then when you get to the actual point where it catches up with itself you 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 know it's actually a twist on that and it's not what you've thought all along and um you 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 know those 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 are the really clever ones aren't they (laughs) but uh, well they can can. i mean like like any film, some twists you can see coming a mile off. Yeah, you can, and and yeah. and and you know, and I and I do like. I mean, we've we've talked on other podcasts about you know unconventional narratives in films, mm-hmm. and 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 they're uh, yeah, y- y- you know, they they're usually the uh, the more interesting ones. But um, but you know, essentially, apart from that sort of cold opening that they throwed on there. You know, this this does take a, a linear narrative like like any film, but uh, yeah, I mean, who knows? I I don't know. I've not. This is one of the few films where there isn't a lot of um, supplemental material, opposite to what I was saying at the beginning about how most of his films <laughs> does. This is one of the rare occasions where um, the the home media releases and indeed, you, you know, the. Uh, uh, the, the latest Blu-rays and everything—it's—it's it's hard to um, to to find any sort of commentaries or or behind the scenes on this. You know, it's it's possible. I'm not saying it's happened. It's possible that maybe uh, the distributor or the studio, um, you, you know, had some influence there and said, look, you know, this this film takes too long to get going. You know, and we we need to have some action at the start to 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 draw people in and and maybe you know that was done editorially then 
because of that, I, I, I don't know. I don't know is the answer. No, I don't. I don't think <clears> so. I mean, it, the from watching it, it certainly feels like that's it's kind of like part of the storytelling because you hear because when you have the opening with uh, the sort of uh, tourist video, yes, or tourist the Christchurch film, tourist video, yeah, tourist video. <laughs> You hear the sound of the girl screaming at near the end of it. You do, yeah. And it, 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 yeah, it feels like it's it's part of it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, but I, I don't have a problem with it. Do you think it works? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you, you know, I, I, I've, yeah, I've not really. I don't have. I, I don't have a major problem with it. But at the same time, I think it's 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 an interesting point that you raise. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, you know. Uh, uh, well, like 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 I jokingly often say, you know, we we, we literally could have a whole another podcast about yes. you know the, the these these sort of narrative traits, etc. But um, but yeah, in this instance, I don't really have a problem with it. I I, I think it works for the film, and um, I enjoy the film. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm okay with it. But but uh, at the same at the same time, I can totally understand why. Uh, why you might not have been a fan. And it is, I have to say, it is an odd film to have as an introduction to Peter Jackson. You know, uh, if, I, if I was saying to people, oh, go out and watch Peter Jackson's work, I wouldn't necessarily, you know, suggest that they start with Heavenly Creatures. You know, I'd, I'd suggest that they start with Bad Taste, you know, and go right back to the beginning and work through. But, um, but this one is definitely a... Um, it's probably this and the Lovely Bones are the two films in his catalog that are that are, even though they they again they have fantasy elements, but they are slightly darker and slightly different films than than the rest of them. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I haven't seen uh, Lovely Bones, uh, but I've 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 never heard anything good about no, it. No, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I know people who love it, yeah. and I know people who hate it. And um, I, okay. I'm, you know, on this podcast, we're not going there. But uh, you, you know, it's an interesting film. Yeah. <laughs> as as a companion piece to this one, because they are similar stories. They are about a crime, and they involve a fantasy element. Yes. Do you think it's a good companion to this film, uh, or completely it's, different? It's um, <clears throat> I would say there's an there's a kinship to them in terms of of. of jackson's body of work but you know they are still completely separate things but i suppose if you know if you were saying to me uh, if i had to group his films together um i i guess that you could perhaps um yeah put 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 them under a similar bracket indeed yeah (laughs) yeah check it out i don't know it's 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 an it's an it's another one it's another one that causes a lot of debate yes (laughs) Right. Well, moving on. But it certainly wasn't. It certainly wouldn't have been my movie Heaven. So that's why I didn't pick that one. <laughs> right. Okay. Your one, on the other hand, <laughs> I believe I did pick it right, and then we changed it. So yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, my pick for movie Heaven is his follow-up film in '96, The Frighteners. Yay! And uh, as Keith said, it was. Uh, Produced by uh, Robert Zemeckis, and um, this time he got to work with a Hollywood star uh, in the shape of Michael J. Fox. Uh, he uh, he got 
the whole a whole load of actors to come over and uh, make New Zealand look like America. Yeah, yeah. New Zealand became <laughs> small town America. Absolutely. That's right. And I have to say, you say about Michael J. Fox, what a great performance by Michael J. Fox in this film. You know, this is this is this is yeah. often not talked about in Michael J. Fox's career, but I actually think this is this is one of the highlights, I would say, because it's a very different character to what he usually plays, isn't it? Very much. Well, yeah, even when he's playing somebody who's a bit unlikable, uh, usually there's still a lot of, you know, the Michael J. Fox charm to it. Uh, but in this case, he is playing somebody who is a bit of an arsehole. Mm. <laughs> and he is a, you know, a con artist and he is, you know, trying to make money out of people. Uh, so uh, if you don't know what The Frighteners is, it's, uh, you know, Michael J. Fox plays a character called Frank Bannister. And he is a... He pretends. Well, he says he is a, um, a paranormal investigator, uh, exterminator. He can come in and remove spirits from people's houses. Uh, what people don't know is that uh, he's, because he can see ghosts. Uh, he has uh, these three ghosts that who work for him, uh, who uh, you know go into these houses and start causing trouble, and then he can come in and clean up and uh, make money. But, uh, of course, um, what happens is then suddenly people start dying and uh, Michael J. Fox's character is the only one that can see that there's this uh, sort of spectre character, this Grim Reaper character going around uh, killing people and he can see who's going to be next because there's a number sort of inflamed on their head. And uh, he... He sees that this girl that he really likes is going to be next and uh, he does everything in his power to try and stop it. And then we, of course, learn about this dark history of, of the ta of the town, about these two um, psychopaths who uh, went on a killing spree. And even though one of them is dead, still wants to continue this this killing spree. And uh, it's, you know, it's it's beautifully, it, it, it's, it's really well done. It's funny. Uh it has its moments of horror and uh, it's also kind of heartwarming as well because um, at the end of the day, uh, the Frank Bannister character, you know, gets to redeem himself because he is, he is a victim in this as well. Uh, his wife was, uh, was killed in a roadside accident and he thought that was his, his own fault, but uh, it turned out it wasn't. Turns out that his wife was another victim of these uh, these psychopaths. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a, a wonderfully it's a wonderful film, and uh, it's it's kind of interesting uh, having watched the the Blu-ray. There's an introduction by Peter Jackson, and he said this is the first time he used um, you know CGI in a film. <laughs> yes, and he had to build a company. And uh, afterwards, after the film was finished, he was like, well, I've got this company now. What do I do next with it? And he went around and he said, well, uh, obviously I need a film with lots of effects in it. Maybe fantasy. And he cites the f this film as the fact that he went after making uh, Lord of the Rings so that 
he could use his <laughs> CGI company. <laughs> it's and like, the rest okay, is history. Yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, of all the things, it's like, oh, no, I love the story. I've always wanted to make it. No, I've got a company. I just got to use them in something. Well, hey, you know, you know what, 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 a, what a great journey that is. Um, <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I have to admit, you know, this, this, this was my, if you like, my original pick for for heaven um uh and uh yeah i mean th- th- this is this is a great a great film um I, I i own that blu-ray uh which i have to say you know not only has it got two versions of the film it's got the theatrical yes. and the extended cut but it's also got a no less than four hour documentary um right from the concept in early talks right the way through the post, you know, the release, the, the, the whole journey of the film. And um, you see some of the, uh, you know, which were at the time groundbreaking effects that Weta um, that worked on, um, you, you know, with this. And, you, you, you know, it, it, it's it's really, you can see Peter Jackson's passion um, for it. And, uh, yeah, it's, it, again, any... Any filmmakers out there, that's well worth a watch to watch that behind the scenes as well as the, obviously the film. But um, yeah, the, it, you know, it really is uh, heavily detailed on 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 how they 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 uh, they pulled this off. And and what's what's kind of interesting is uh, obviously you know this this got again Zemeckis took notice of um, of Jackson because of uh, Heavenly Creatures. Um, likewise, Michael J. Fox. You know, agreed to read it, having seen Heavenly Creatures. Um, but you, you know, initially they were thinking of this as a uh, one of the spin-off films for the Tales from the Crypt, and um, okay, you, you know, they decided no, actually, th- th- this 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 would actually be a really good you know film in its own right. So hence why um, Zemeckis, you know, uh, you know, decided to produce it as a, a you know a separate from the the Tales from the Crypt series that he was also um, working on, um, but uh, yeah, it, it it's it's just got some great performances, and uh, one of the things that he did on this, which I think is is quite interesting as well, is in order to make it funny, um, you know, he and Fran they 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 wrote the script and and they worked on it, but they wanted to uh, they wanted to allow a lot of these actors that they bought in. Um, to 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 bring some of their you know their comic timing etc that they that that they naturally had so they they did a series of um read th- improvisational read throughs basically with the cast but what was quite funny is he didn't have a the man with all the gadgets right didn't have an audio recorder right so ah. he basically took a um a vhsc camcorder and put it on the floor and recorded the just the audio and it's quite funny because you just basically see a cup of tea <laughs> on the carpet and somebody's feet you know while they're while they're um you, you know working out all these different lines and gags and stuff so <laughs> i always say that's quite funny you know this man didn't have a tape recorder obviously this is before you could record it on your iphone <laughs> Mm, yeah. Back in the days of '96 or '95, I guess when they were doing this. <laughs> oh, I must admit, I had a quite an elaborate setup when I recorded a, a read view, read through of of, uh, of a cast, and uh, um, I had you know had a laptop and a microphone, and you know, so 
I went. I guess I went a little to town with it. But well, there um, you go. You were even more professional yeah. than uh, Peter Jackson. Go figure that. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, one, I mean, you know, what, one of the things. I mean, there's some great. Again, there's some great. Um, you know, supporting actors in this as well, and like mm. the ghosts and stuff. I mean, they came out with some brilliant. Um, you know, lines and stuff that that like I said, a lot of it they worked in those sort of early um read throughs and stuff so they really so you know that just goes to show you as well you know the the whole how important it is to um to 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 be able to flesh out the script by um by by using you know the 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 cast that you've got around you you know to 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 improve on things and and they certainly did you know uh um hmm. Shay McBride stuff is hilarious you know he played Cyrus <laughs> and, yeah. and uh that you know he loves imp- improvisation that guy and uh that there's there's some really funny stuff on, on that on that uh on that blu-ray <laughs> well the other thing as well is that uh John Austin is unrecognizable as the judge totally I mean the makeup yeah. The makeup job on it was so great because he had uh, this the his jawbone kept falling out or was loose all the time, <laughs> so it was just you know it, it was great to see that. Um, as you mentioned before about extended cuts, this is actually one of those extended cuts is not very good. They they added a a couple of scenes which don't really add much to uh, the story. No, I agree. Yeah, I agree. They're, yeah, they're, yeah it's, it's 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 more pa- it feels like padding as opposed to yeah yeah, and hence why they took it. I mean, it's interesting to see, but uh, maybe as a deleted scene, and the, then they're actually being put back in. Yeah, but no, it's 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 a it's very enjoyable, um, you know, uh, comedy horror. You know, it's 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 it, it almost feels like you know it it's 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 the 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 following decades. Um, Ghostbusters, you know, in some respects, <laughs> and uh, yeah, you know, he gets to play a really interesting character, and um, it's kind of sad because I believe that this was probably his last leading role in a feature film because he went back to television after this, didn't he, with um, Spin City? Um, That's right. Yes. Yeah. And then obviously, you know diagnosed with Parkinson's shortly after that so um mm. it, it's it's kind of sad that this was his his sort of last leading man Hollywood feature film as as it, as it were but um uh but yeah I, I I really you know I really enjoyed watching Michael J Fox in this because because there was there was a lot going on with this character and um uh, you, you know like you said it was it was it was different to see him play someone who who isn't initially as likable but because it's Michael J Fox there's still something likable and relatable to it <laughs> yes oh yeah well because at the end of the day he he, he tries to do the right yes. thing yeah yeah and um and and you know this this obviously was like 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 you've already um already said this was the sort of film that uh that established the production company and the uh wetter digital effects company and and you know kind of he had his um he had all of his sort of people in place to sort of move on to to other as he would say projects <laughs> you, you, you know and, and and move forward with them and uh you, you know largely 
that was because of the success of this project. So, or project. So, um, yeah, yes. uh, good stuff and a, re- and a really good choice. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the, the thing I, uh, I, I love about this film as well is that, um, the, the scene near the end where, uh, Michael J. Fox's character gets to experience the the murders, so the 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 ghostal spectre character uh, at first we think is like a um, a killer of ghosts, but it turns out actually he was a, a serial killer, and uh, him and um, his girlfriend uh, they went around killing killing people in a hospital ward. And they were trying to outdo sort of other serial killers, hence why the the numbers, uh, they would carve numbers in people's foreheads and stuff. But uh, Michael J. Fox gets to experience that actual attack happen, you know, uh, when he is actually at the hospital. And it's it's done really well because it, it's in the middle of a chase scene. They're being chased. And yet he's having these flashbacks as well, as, as well as trying to you know avoid his pursuer it's really well done yeah yeah it's nicely nicely edited and put together what it works really well no i agree Mm. um you you know i I mean for me you you know as i said 92 93 whenever it was i was watching you know bad taste and brain dead etc and and you know starting to think about oh you know i want to i want to learn filmmaking um you you know am i going to go to film school and when this one came out i was actually in film school so it was kind of uh (laughs) it was it was really nice to see um you, you know this this guy this this low budget australian filmmaker oh, sorry australian he'd hate it if i said that low budget new zealand um filmmaker had had um had you know kind of now made it uh you, you know into the into into the hollywood mainstream um and, and was able to do films like this and uh you know and and the likes of bob zemeckis and whatever were taking him you, you, you know seriously as as well so that was that was really uh that was really good to see and um uh, I hadn't actually watched this in quite some years, so it was it was really nice to sort of go back and revisit it um, on on Blu-ray and uh, check it out again. But yeah, it was really good, really yeah. really nice film. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's a good film, well worth checking out. Yeah, and and like I said, anyone listening to this that that wants to watch really good behind the scenes stuff that just isn't just an EPK type thing, um, the uh, the the Jackson produced. Uh, behind the scenes on this is 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 well probably more in depth than it needs to be but it's really good it as i said it has a runtime of four hours but uh um you can you can watch it in chunks you know they break it up into like sort of development and pre-production production post-production and then release so um you you, you can you can break it up into chunks but it's 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 very it's well worth a watch really really clever to see how they did some of those um early uh cg effects yes yeah and it, you know it still looks good now i mean it's yeah some of the effects hasn't aged too well but you know that's yeah i think it holds that's up that's the thing about the, yeah. i don't know and that's I just mean, that's the thing about cgi <laughs> yeah 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 well the thing is you can kind of get away with it to a certain extent because we're dealing with sort of spectral looking images you know ghosts and whatever mm. um and yeah, it, I I I feel it sort of works. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
Right, moving on. Moving on. It's now time for our picks of movie oh, hell. Oh dear. So, so Keith, what is your pick for movie hell? Well, you know, has has Peter Jackson really made a bad movie? You know, I'd almost sort of caveat by saying, not really. But as it as he as he made a film that personally, you know, I don't think's great for various reasons, and um, you y- you know, yes, I've picked something for that. Um, as as anyone who's a sort of regular listener of this podcast will probably know, often a lot of my picks are somewhat loaded, and they are so that we can either talk about other aspects of cinema or filmmaking or genres or franchises or whatever. Um, I guess I guess I've kind of done a little bit of that here, but it is very honest because I base this on my initial experience when I first saw this at mm-hmm. the cinema. And I've since obviously for this podcast watched it again on Blu-ray. And um my you know, I'm absolutely my my opinion is still exactly the same. So I have picked um King Kong from 2005 uh basically I I'm you know I'm a fan of the King Kong franchise very much so and Peter Jackson is a huge fan of the original the 1933 uh King Kong film and you know like I've 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 kind of used this analogy before but um to an extent I think there lies the problem Okay, the yes. the Marion Cooper, the David Selznick original film from 1933 was one of the first films Peter Jackson watched on TV when he was a kid, about eight years old, I think he says when he tells the story. And it was one of the films that inspired him to become a filmmaker. So it's it's a very seminal film. It's the film that kind of made Peter Jackson who he is today. Um so, you, you know, he had massive love and massive respect for this film. Um, but when we when we sort of get into talking about it, um, I think sometimes that that might have been part of the problem here. Um, obviously, the, the original film, uh, you know, I know this is not a podcast about that, but, uh, you know, it is... I think an absolutely incredible film. It's it's definitely uh, one of one of the history of movie greats there's no doubt about that uh obviously willis o'brien's um stop motion work was what then you know inspired and shaped the career of ray harryhausen and i often mention that uh you know a big fan of, of of his work through the years um when i was growing up and um obviously they 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 made a uh, a version Dino De Laurentiis made a version in in 1976, uh, which starred um, Jeff Bridges and Jessica Lange, and yeah. um, it was it was basically it was it was slightly adapted. It was it was contemporized. Uh, it was around a search for oil initially, uh, rather than you know a, a, a guy trying to make a movie. Um, and you know that film they used uh, sort of a mixture of. Uh, animatronic type effects and a, and a and a guy in a suit essentially um yeah. and 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 it looked like a guy in a suit yeah yeah i mean you know i, I a lot of people really really kind of hate that film I, I again it's another one i remember watching on tv when i was very young uh you, you know 
on on like a Saturday afternoon or something. And um and I and I kind of liked it actually as a kid. Um and uh, you know, as an adult, there's Jessica Lang. But anyway, sorry. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, 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 you know, it, it, it's it, what, what they did with that was they tried to do something um, where they essentially used the same, same story, the same basic setup, uh, the same idea, but tried to do something slightly different with it and contemporize it. And of course, they used they used effects of the time, um, you, you know, to make that one. So instead of instead of using uh, the stop motion like they'd done in 1933 they decided like you said, like I've already said to do sort of a mixture of animatronic puppets and, and a man in a suit and uh, and then obviously we get to Peter Jackson um, by 2005 who'd sort of you know had mastered with the with the Lord of the Rings films etc had mastered the uh, CGI and the mixture of that with with performance and, and motion capture so um, so you know, we're telling the story again. Essentially, the background is it's set in 1933 New York. Uh, we've got an overly ambitious movie producer who's played by Jack Black in this film, and he coerces his cast um, and hires a ship to travel to this mysterious Skull Island um, to encounter Kong, uh, a giant ape who is. Uh, immediately becomes smitten with his leading lady who was a vaudeville actress uh, called Anne Darrow which in this film is played by Naomi Watts and um, essentially it involves them capturing the 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 Kong creature and um, bringing them back to New York where it appears as the what they they call the eighth wonder of the world and um, all sorts of uh, crazy stuff uh, follows so um yes including ice skating. including ice skating yeah so okay so what why why have i got a problem with this film well okay a li- little bit of little bit of history on it first um back after the after the success of the frighteners so it's kind of weird we are going almost chronological here after the success of the frighteners in in 96 um they uh, Universal came to uh, Peter Jackson and they they basically offered him a choice of a remake of Creature from the Black Lagoon or a remake of King Kong. And obviously him being an absolutely mega fan of King Kong, so much so that he had actually made a Super 8 film as a kid uh, where he'd made his own stop motion puppet of, of, of Kong and um, tried to sort of, uh, y- you know, create a film uh, as, as a sort of sequel almost to Kong, you know, even as a kid, uh, instantly jumped at the chance to, um, to, to remake King Kong. And they did a, a draft back in 1996, which was much, much, much different to what we ended up with. It was much more of a old school Hollywood action film. And many people say that it was actually the script that inspired the the Stephen Summers remake of The Mummy. Okay, it was much more sim- similar to that in terms of uh, storyline, um, tone, etc. And then what happened is uh, the Godzilla film that had been made by Roland Emmerich at the time uh, had been a bit of a a box office disaster and as a result universal decided to pull the plug on the uh 
um, King Kong project, which is what then led to Peter Jackson going on his Lord of the Rings um, uh, journey, you know, which is absolutely a whole another series of podcasts probably so i won't go into that but but that's so so he took a break from the idea of doing the king kong film and uh went and did the lord of the rings trilogy you know which obviously took up a a, a decade of, of, of doing those films and you know once those had all been made and released and and hugely successful yeah. he uh he he then went back to kong can I just 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 draw you up on something? You, you said that Lord of the Rings took a decade to make. It didn't take a decade to make because '96 was Frighteners, and well, the Fellowship of the Ring came out in 2001. Yeah, okay. Well, he took he took the 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 I mean the decade between that and King Kong coming out. Sorry. Oh, yeah. okay. Um, oh, right. Sorry, I wasn't sorry, being I wasn't meaning to be absolutely precise. Sorry. It's, but yes, he t- he took No, 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 but it just it just sounded like it, it took a whole decade to to make Lord No, of the Rings. I, I, I kind of mean that King Kong was shelved for yeah. a decade. Sorry, that was me. I'm oh, okay. not 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 explaining yeah. myself properly. Sorry. Um it's cuz my mind I do this. I waffle on. My mind goes ahead of my uh what I'm saying and then I end up paraphrasing and stuff doesn't make sense and you've no idea how many of these i've listened back to and absolute cringed at shit that i've said and stuff that i've got wrong so errors and omissions folks apologies um there you go anyway so um we get to the point where he's then ready to make a king kong film and uh he decides to go back to this original story with the original setting and original characters okay so um which, you know, okay, let's do a, a modern remake. It's been a long time since the 1933 film. You know, technology has moved on. We can now do it in the world of digital and CGI and uh, performance capture. So so why not? You know, this, this, this all sounds great. My problems with it is, so he makes it, but he literally makes it double the length of the original film. So he hasn't done a Gus Van Sant and done a Psycho and essentially done a shot-for-shot remake. He has taken the same story and the same characters and made a remake. But instead of the tight 100 minutes that the original 1933 one was and worked beautifully, the normal theatrical cut of this is three hours, 10 minutes, with an extended cut with an additional... I think 11 or 12 minutes on top of that, right? Now, here again, I might not be precise, but approximately that, yeah? (laughs) Now, here here comes the problem. We're talking far too long and far too self-indulgent, okay? I I definitely don't have a problem with long movies. I've I've often mentioned one of my favourite movies is Dances with Wolves, which is a long film. So I don't have a problem Mm -hmm. with long movies uh, if, if... if it works for the story. But this this isn't uh, a TV show. This isn't a miniseries. This is a movie that, uh, in my opinion, uh, is just way too long and way too self-indulgent. It's an hour and 10 minutes into the film before we actually see the titular King Kong. Um, there is an awful lot of setup in New York, setting up the ensemble of characters that take the, uh, take the ship to Skull Island. Um, 
there's a lot more expansion on the the Anne Darrow character, you know, as a struggling vaudeville actress that can't afford to eat in the sort of uh, depression period of um, uh, the prohibition period of of, of New York, uh, and um, you, you know, you know that this is, I guess, good character background. So I'm not going to knock that, but. It does take an awful long time to actually get to the island and, and for some action to, to happen. Um, once we actually get there, uh, again, they, they've really played on the original concepts of this being an island filled with, uh, you know, it's not only got Kong on it, but it's got other sort of prehistoric type creatures um, running around and we get, and this is where I start to have a real problem with it now. Um, we mm -hmm. get to ov obviously a decade earlier, more than a decade earlier, um, uh, Jurassic Park had been made and, you know, we've talked about that on other podcasts and what, what a, what an amazing, you, you know, recreation of, of dinosaurs for the big screen that, that totally works. What we get here is I can't fault again the the, the digital effects etc are great, but the drama and the acting and the things around it for me are unbelievable. So we get a situation where our film crew are on the island. Um, this uh, Kong has has taken um, Anne. Uh, he's, he's become fascinated with Anne as he has in all of the films and he's taken her away and the, the crew have decided to, you know, go in and find her and rescue her. But in doing so, they they come across a a herd, if that's the correct collective for um, of dinosaurs. And there's there's basically they, they get chased by them. And this is where I, they really lost me here because Nobody at this point of the film gets crushed by a dinosaur or they're running in between their legs and they're carrying cameras and equipment and they're making, you know, one liners. And um, yeah, I just I just kind of I, and I didn't care about a lot of these characters either. That that was another thing I felt very removed from the characters. Um, for some reason, I almost feel like there was so much attention spent on making the visual effects extremely good, which they are, that um, it kind of almost took away from the drama and the and the the acting. I don't know why, but for me, it it, it felt odd. Um, then we go through, uh, again, similar beats from the original film between Kong and, uh, and, and, and Darrow, which again is, is played wonderfully, uh, at the wonderful Andy Circus, who often gets a mention on this podcast, you know, did a wonderful job having worked with Peter Gollum, uh, Peter Jackson as Gollum, Peter Gollum <laughs> is Jackson, no, having, having worked as Gollum on Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings films, um, and uh, you know, using him again now to uh, to 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 bring life to Kong, uh, you know, does so very well. Um, and we get a great scene where in this film, again, uh, slightly overindulgent, but in the original, Kong fights a T Rex. In this film, he fights three T Rexes to protect her. Um, and you know, eventually they manage to uh, rescue. And, and chloroform Kong because 
this boat had a load of chloroform on it. Uh, and then we don't actually see how they managed to get Kong back to New York, but it then jumps back to New York where uh, Kong has become, you know, a, a media show for... Um, uh, I'm trying to think of Jack Black's character's name. It's Cooper, isn't it? Or is it no, it's um, Denim. Yeah. Uh, and he... Yeah. He's become, you know, uh, the eighth wonder of the world and, and you know, a big marketing, uh, expensive ticket um, show. And, of course, you know, Kong gets loose, causes absolute havoc in New York, you know, killing lots of people in the process, uh, attempting to find Anne. And when he does find her, it's like suddenly all this chaos in New York, suddenly New York is deserted. And yes. they go for a little ice skating time on the uh, on the frozen lake in Central Park, and um, it's it, it it does feel very odd and very very weird and very much like it shouldn't be there, and um, doesn't last for very long before the military are in and they are indeed chasing Kong and they pursue Kong who has Anne with him. And as with the original 1933 version, they end up at the um, World Trade Center. Uh, sorry, the Empire State Building. Let me get this right. <laughs> I'm thinking remake, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which isn't there. Yeah, No, uh, up the Empire State Building. And again, this is where I get a little bit of a problem with all of this again, because they're at the top of the Empire State Building. Um, you know, Naomi Watts is... is in a beautiful white dress and 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 high heels obviously i know it's stylized i know it's a film i know she's supposed to look glamorous she does through the whole thing but she stood on the top of the empire state building and i don't believe that she's on the top of the empire state building why because she stood there and there's no fear. There's no hanging on to anything. It, it, it just feels very unbelievable to me. And uh, I had a real problem with that when I first watched it. And I had a problem when I watched it again. And it's interesting because on the the Ultimate Edition Blu-ray that you can get, which has got both cuts of the film and it's got literally hours and hours of bonus materials i think it's somewhere up in the region of 14 hours of bonus content uh has a Blimey. very very immersive documentary which i've not watched all of but i've watched some of and uh, early on their location scouting they were allowed to go up to the top of the um empire state building uh and you know they go to the top of it and Naomi Watts is can barely stand up. She's 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 practically on her hands and knees because of the <laughs> vertigo. I'm like, why why, why didn't she yeah. go back to some of that memory? You know, uh, again, I know it's a movie and I get it. And I'm there's probably people screaming at this podcast now going, Keith, get over yourself. It's a movie. Don't be ridiculous and all this. But I don't know what it was. There's something about this film. I can't put my finger on it. It. It's well made. It's it's well done. Um, it looks fantastic, but I have a problem with it. Uh, you know, I was really excited to go and see it because I'm a big fan of of, of the original King Kong movies, um, and I was really excited to see this. I knew it was Peter Jackson's passion project. Um, well, apart from Lord of the Rings, I guess, but you know, it was one of his passion projects for sure. 
and I was really excited to go and see it. I had enjoyed the Lord of the Rings trilogy and um, I went thinking that I was going to really enjoy this and, and it left me cold. And I sat down, you know, having picked it as I thought, well, if I pick it for movie hell, it's an excuse to talk about the uh, the King Kong franchise. And I rewatched it thinking, will I be eating my words? And I'm not. I, I rewatched it and it was too long and I felt cold. So, you know, hate me or not, listeners, um, this is my pick, I'm afraid, for Peter Jackson's movie hell. And uh, I had no disagreement here. Uh, I remember going to cinema to see this, uh, thinking, oh, follow-up to Lord of the Rings is going to be good. And it was very long. It, it drags as yeah. well. And it, it's a film that it, it could have done with a lot of trimming. And I think this still would have it would have been a better film for it. Uh, I think some of the stuff in it that's quite memorable... Uh, it was actually nice to see Andy Circus in the flesh. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Even though we all knew he was uh, doing the mocap shirt for uh, King Kong, uh, it was actually nice to see him as part of one of the crew. And he had the most horrible list death in the oh, whole film. Yeah, very much so. When, with the tube worms. Yeah, yeah that stuff that, is nasty. That, that's it's very nasty. And it's, it's, I still sort of remember it to this day, you know. And, um, but yeah, it's just, I, I know when he set out to make this remake that there was things that he wanted to, to do, which were, were planned for the original King Kong, but they couldn't do because of the technology. And, um, I think the, there's one scene that's, I don't know if it's missing or it was attempted to be shot called the, the spider pit, yes. which became the, this this pit where um, Andy Serkis's character died with these shoe worms and stuff like that. There, it, yeah, it's there's stuff in it that you know you think if you take that out, it still could be quite a an, an interesting film. It still could be really good. Well, interestingly, that that pit that pit scene on the mm-hmm. on one of the special edition Blu-rays of the thirty three King Kong. Uh, Peter Jackson and Weta actually recreated that scene uh, in stop motion with practical effects shot with the old style camera um, uh, as a sort of because of their love of it. Um, The only thing Mm -hmm. was they said they'd never put it into the original film, but they'd have it as a supplemental on on the Blu-ray. And they've done an amazing job of that. It is incredible. and, and, and this is the thing, you know, I almost think that, uh, y- y- you know, he loves he loves the original film so much that uh, he wanted to put so much into this that he was he wasn't able to be objective about it. So hence yes. why it is overlong, it is self-indulgent. Um, and and yeah, and, and I guess because he wanted to make it in the start using the latest technology but make it in the style of like a sort of older classic hollywood movie maybe that's why the the performances feel a bit more stilted um met or or even over the top in places and maybe that's why you know 
there's that unbelievable there's that we we've talked before about the whole uncanny mm. valley thing yeah and yeah the, the problem i have with the empire state building scene it's not kong kong looks fantastic it's not the airplanes the airplanes look fantastic i have a problem with the whole believability of her being on the top of the empire state <laughs> building because at sunrise by the way so i've no idea what time that uh the 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 show that they were going to put on was going to be but uh you, you know the timeline there all seems a bit odd as well but um but uh yeah it, it, it oh i don't know i can't I'm really annoyed because you know when you kind of want to like something and you don't yeah. and then you want to give a really good inspired uh intelligent reason as to why you don't like it but you can't <laughs> well that's exactly what I feel like with this I feel that I'm not you know I'm 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 possibly contradicting myself I'm not explaining it right I I really and I have thought hard about what is it about this that that I don't like and and I'm trying to rationalize it and it's really hard because I I don't you, you know I see the passion that's in it uh I think mm -hmm. it's incredibly well made <laughs> I think they use the technology in an incredible way to recreate this classic story um you know it's it's all there but for me it just doesn't work and and I and I don't know why I can't put my finger on it but um I thought, well, we could have a discussion around it in any case, but, uh, you know. Well, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it could have done with being updated. I mean, it didn't have to be so faithful. Um, you know, I think if you're going to do a remake, bring something new to it uh, and yeah. not just it being technology. I mean, I, I didn't have a problem with it being yeah. a period piece. That that wasn't that wasn't no, the problem. No, but, I, I, but I'm saying he was so uh, loyal to the original film that he, you know, as you say, it's self-indulgent. It's too long. You know, there's it, it gets the, the whole stuff gets stretched. Yeah, and as you say, I've you know, you 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 have all this stuff on the on the boat, sort of, uh, you know for us to get to know these characters before they get to the island. But that it does make it feel like it gets the them getting to the island takes forever. And then what you have then is, you know, once uh, Kong is subdued, they're back in New York like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly with, you know. But then again, we do, we don't want we don't want to see the stuff where they're, they're journeying back to New York, trying to call a form him all the yeah, way. Trying to you get know, him back to the boat, be, for starters. It's like... <laughs> that would be an even longer film. We don't want that. I mean, it's it, it's long enough as it is. It is. It's, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's... It's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, a you know, a, a trod. You know, it's just... It's, it, it's just so long and... There's so much spectacle you can take before you start getting bored. Yeah, well, I'm glad you agree with um, me. I was expecting you to put me yeah. to my rights on this one because I know no. I know lots of people love it, and uh, and I totally respect that. But um, uh, you know, I om in terms of what ifs, I almost wish, I almost wonder the 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 original film that he was going to make after Frighteners. You know, mm -hmm. I often yeah. wonder what would have been like if he'd if he hadn't got side if he hadn't have got the the brakes put on it and then gone off to make lord of the rings if he'd if he'd if he'd made that film 
what would yeah. that have been? Because from the sounds of it, that was something that was taking the concept and doing their own thing on it. A little bit like, and, and this is a whole other podcast, so I won't dwell on this, but, you know, Kong Skull Island, which came out uh, last year, um, which, yeah. again, you know, is by by no means a perfect movie in any way. I know it's got some sort of tonal shifts and problems and stuff, but I really enjoyed that in so much as they took the they took the Kong idea, they put it in a different um, you know time period setting, and they did something different with it. And we still got the you know we still got some iconography, uh, you know, fighting mm-hmm. with other uh, dinosaurs, etc. And all of that sort of thing, but they kept it contained to the island. And um, you know, I I just thought that f- for me, I thought that was a, an interesting new spin on the character, and 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 I quite enjoyed it. Even though I know it, a lot of people hate it, and and I'm not saying it was without problems, but I I quite enjoyed that. And I almost wonder, you know, if if Peter Jackson had made something again that was that used the concepts of 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 the character and the basic premise and but just did something different with it whether or not it would have been a you know a more satisfying film rather than a homage and also the fact he just come off this massive project called lord the rings that tiny film yeah (laughs) that tiny film and he went straight into doing king kong and I I remember because they did a whole series of on set videos for the internet. Yes, I remember he looked awful. <laughs> he lost a lot of weight and he looked really skinny and ill. And I think he, I think personally, he, sh- he needed to have had a, a bit of a break between doing uh, Lord of the Rings and King Kong. Because I think he went he went straight from one into the other without no break. Right. And I think his health suffered for it, and I think his judgment suffered for it as well. I think it's 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 a very long film, which didn't need to be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I believe it was uh, it was it was commercially successful. I think. Yes, um, of course. Yeah, and uh, I think it did it did well. Otherwise, we wouldn't have got uh, Skull. Uh, sorry, Kong Skull Island. You know, and I don't think I think Universal. You know they made they made their money. Yeah, well they're trying they're trying to they're trying to do their shared universe thing with with this as well now, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> the, the the Godzilla yeah. tie in and stuff like that. But uh, you know every studio yeah. wants uh, a shared universe franchise now. Yeah, <laughs> they do indeed. They do indeed. And you know it's there was a lot of good faith there because Lord of the Rings were really good. They were great films, you know, and so we were expecting, we were expecting the same from Peter Jackson when it came to King Kong, and you know maybe maybe our expectations were way too high. Yeah, for this film. Yeah, and 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 but, like you uh, said, he did yeah. those uh, those he used the internet, you know, to do those regular video diaries, which which are also on the Blu-ray and the 4K. Uh, UHD uh, you get those and what I do like about Mm. Peter Jackson as well is I do like the fact that he has a sense of humour because uh, on one of them they talk about the fact that there are two sequels in the works 
Um, <laughs> I forget what they're called. They've got ridiculous titles, but they're, they're, there's, there's two sequels and they, 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 they interview all the cast and the, the effects people and the crew about this sequel and everybody's like really serious about it. And you think, oh, really? And apparently mm-hmm. they were scheduled to be out in like 2009 and 2011 or something. Oh, but right. then the date that he put that up was on the 1st of April. <laughs> ah, so fun. it was it was a big, you know, like a joke, f- April Fool uh, thing. Um, but, y- you know, I-, I love the fact that, you know, he, he had the sense of humour to go and make one of these video production diaries and for everybody to be in on the joke and, you know, take it really seriously. So suddenly you think this is going to be part of a, a trilogy <laughs> and, uh, and, it's, and it's complete <laughs> nonsense. But yeah. Uh, he could have almost done though with telling this story as a trilogy. It might have worked, you know. <laughs> you know, have them, have them, uh, you know, or at least one film in Skull Island, and then another one back in New York, rather than trying to cram it all into uh, into one mm. film. Who knows? I don't know. No, because <laughs> we get more scenes of of Kong ice skating. Uh, yeah, you know, they got to fill out. Was that, that, was that time. me or was that? You see, to me that whole thing made no sense and felt really odd because suddenly yeah. you had chaos as as he was going through New York, you know, knocking down buildings and treading on people and destroying everything in his path sort of thing. And then he sees her and suddenly New York's empty. There's not a passing car or anything. And and it just, oh, it felt, it felt like a really odd beat to me. And I'm like, maybe I've missed the point of this or something. But uh, that did seem weird. <laughs> yes yeah yeah but, uh, <laughs> but you know there, there, there's yeah, obviously there, there's loads to talk about about you know kong and um you know the franchise and this movie and uh you know the different versions and all that sort of stuff but essentially you know what i say to people is is you know, don't listen to me waffle on and get half my facts incorrect <laughs> just bloody go out go out get the I actually picked up the ultimate edition Blu-ray of this for right. five pounds, right? Oh, and okay. it literally it has one Blu-ray with both versions of the of the movie on it that looks fantastic, by the way. But both versions, uh, although I wouldn't recommend anybody sit through the longer version, but I did. And then it's got another disc, as I said, literally filled with I think it's fourteen hours of. Um, of bonus content again every a bit like the frighteners one everything from the early yeah. discussions and the development right the way through the production process um uh and and it's really in depth so it's it's well worth for anyone who's a, a big you know film geek of this stuff of this stature would uh would do well to listen to it or watch it indeed indeed right moving on yes that's my pick for me <laughs> are we going to agree on this one Simon that's the question <laughs> I think we are <laughs> I think most people agree because at the time when this came out uh, I think people were you know a little fed up with this so um, my pick for movie hell is The Hobbit and I've picked The Battle of the Five Armies ah okay yes yes so, uh, 2012, I was quite looking forward to seeing The Hobbit. Um, I think I had reservations about the fact that they had split it into three films, 
and also the fact that uh, uh, Galimo del Toro was attached to the project and uh, left. Uh, I think he left because of creative differences. And uh, Peter Jackson had to step back in and direct these. And uh, it did feel like the studios were like, well, let's repeat some magic. Let's uh, let's light up those box office with uh, with more hobbits, and let's go back and let's do the Hobbit. Now the thing is, to turn a, such a small book into three films, you you know you have to invent a lot of stuff. But unfortunately, in this the case of these films, uh, it did seem to be treading old water. So I went to see. Uh, the Hobbit, an unexpected journey at the cinema uh, with my parents. Uh, I think my my brother came along. It wasn't the whole family this time, but we went and we went Christmas Eve, and we came out and we were a bit, hmm, yeah, it's it all right, um, yeah, <laughs> uh, and it is. It and it felt like a retread of of Fellowship of the Ring. I mean, the fact that you. Uh, you you get a a group of uh, of Middle Earthers together. This time, mostly dwarves, and uh, they go to Riverdale, and then they get trapped on a mountain, and then they have to fight some enemies at the end, and then they're sort of off into the the next part. And it was like, oh, okay, this is like this is this is very familiar. It's like deja vu, mm-hmm. but everybody seems to be a lot shorter. <laughs> And then came uh, Desolation of Smog, which um, which was it was all right. It was all right. Um, I think once they got into the under the mountain and they had the went up against the dragon, I thought that bit was really good. But the sort of the lead up to it was a bit. And then finally, you had the, the Battle of the Five Armies, which it just felt like people were going through the motions to get this thing finished. Now, one of the problems I have about these prequels is that in Lord of the Rings, when um, Gandalf uh, discovers that Bilbo has the Ring of Power, well, he doesn't realise it's the Ring of Power, but he realises there's something wrong about this ring that uh, Bilbo has. Um, he goes off and he sort of, you know, he... he 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 researches it and he finds you know this you know back in the histories uh you know this these words you know my precious you know uh, a phrase that you know as soon as you say it just says lord of the rings at that point that it didn't feel like he knew that saruman was uh oh sauron sorry was you know coming back into the world it just it you know, it looked like he had when he, you know, he went to to the Black Gates and saw that there was a lot going on in Mordor. It was like, oh my God, the ancient enemies come back. But with these prequels, they've gone up against the ancient enemy. They've had the, this battle of the five armies, so they surely should have been quite prepared for it. I know Saruman goes, I will now go deal with him. You know, and of course we all know he's becomes a double crosser and, and stuff like that but I, I just it felt like a cash grab I mean yeah 
the Hobbit should have been a good film. And as uh, Galimo del Toro says, there's a point in the book that when you, you know, it, it leaves it open to being a two-parter. But to extend it to three parts, I mean, no, it, it didn't work. Yeah. I mean, it was, um, it, it was like, I went to see Desolation of Smog with my girlfriend. And then when it came to this one, we looked at each other and went, we ain't going to bother. <laughs> yes. You know? I mean, it didn't help that they also tried to do this um, experiment with a different film. Oh, I'm glad you went there because I was going to talk yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah. Do you, you remember, was it It was 60 frames per second, wasn't uh, it? Yeah, um, uh, 24. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it was 60. 60, is, is yeah. it, no, it's either forty-eight so, or sixty. I can't remember. Maybe it was forty-eight. It might have been. It might. It might have been. I think it was. I, it was eight, eight, HFR. They were calling it in the cinemas. High frame rate. Yes. Uh, rate, yeah. I think it was forty-eight frames per second and three D at that. Because of course this was in the yeah. right in the middle of the whole three D craze, wasn't it? So um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. And 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 the thing was, uh. I, I, I remember it was finding it so difficult just to watch the film normally, just to get a ticket to go and see the film 2D. And when we did, once I finally got that ticket, we were in the smallest screen possible. I was like, oh, thanks. You know, this this made me feel like, you know, being you know relegated because I actually just wanted to see it normally projected. I didn't want to see it high frame rate. I didn't want to see it in 3D. Mm. And of course, everybody complained about it to the point that, you know, when it came to the next film, they dropped it like a stone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I because I, I always like to see these, um, you know, the, these developments in, in cinema. Um, yeah. So I did actually go and see, I believe it was the second one um, that I saw in uh, HFR um, 3D. And uh, I didn't I didn't like it because for me... <laughs> Uh, I, I kind of like motion blur. <laughs> yes, it's it's yeah. what motion blur is what gets you out of uncanny valley for, for starters. And um, uh, the other thing was it, it, there were points of it where I was looking and I felt like I was watching some sort of um, period BBC period drama from the 70s that had been shot on video, you know, <laughs> in a studio. You know, it, it just it just felt... Uh, I don't know. I, I just didn't think it worked. I mean, I, I understand. Um, I believe actually Cameron is 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 using this for um, the Avatar films that that are coming as well. Um, yeah. You, you, you know, okay. I, I get these that they got to try these advancements, but but I'm like you. I, I think you, you know it's become such a thing now that uh, you, you, that just to see a film flat projected. 2D as normal frame rate is is quite hard to do when they when they release these because obviously the studio and the cinema chains are very keen for you to uh, to go and experience um, uh, you know the the latest thing and uh, uh, well know. not that they're keen to for you to uh, experience the latest thing they're they're keen for, to make money yeah, of course. and of course the thing is you're having to pay extra for these 3D glasses if, you know. It, it was just a sh- it was such a shame because it was in so many screens. It's like, well, if you want to watch it normally, you got to go to the smallest screen at the far end of the multiplex mm. and not one of the big screens where we, you know, where we've put all the three D versions of it. Yeah, I was like, I, I did feel like quite disgusted by it. Yeah, that. no, I know. What, I mean, I think it's changed a little bit 
since oh, then. It, it's, but... it's changed a lot because uh, 3D is... It, at the moment, is it's going down the drain because a lot of people don't go to. Well, no, because and interestingly, the, I mean, you know, obviously yeah. Sky stopped broadcasting in 3D. Uh, Sony have stopped yeah. making 3D TVs and uh, 4K UHD discs. Uh, unlike Blu-rays, you can't get 3D versions of films. So it, it it is a bit of a dying fad. I mean, my my, yeah. my, my uh, I've got my sort of little rules of thumbs about things and my rule of thumb mm-hmm. with this is if a film was specifically shot in 3D, I'll go and see it in 3D. Otherwise, I prefer to see it in 2D rather than some sort of post-conversion. And then yeah. the same with IMAX. If a film has scenes that were actually shot in IMAX, then... I'll go the extra hog and go and see it at the BFI IMAX, yeah. But otherwise, I'm just happy to see it on as big a screen as possible with a decent sound system sat in a, you know, a good position in the cinema. (laughs) Back to that. Um, But, uh, you know, otherwise, yeah, there's a lot of this stuff that's... uh, and, and and I definitely, as I said, I tried this HFR and at the time I wasn't particularly impressed with it, um, if I'm honest. I was distracted by it, which I shouldn't have been. I should have been into yeah. the story. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, uh, so when it comes to the um, army of the, the, the Battle of the Five Armies, which I think it's more like six armies, but hey, it doesn't sound so good. Um, I mean, the, the story is, is that, uh, so at the beginning, Smog is the, defeated so uh, the second one you were left with this cliffhanger that uh, smog was out going to off go out and destroy the um this the, the the city that's sort of near the uh, the misty mountain and um but then that, that's taken care of within the first half an hour and then the rest is about uh the defense of this mountain and uh, the different armies that are, are making their way there and it just it becomes a mess, mm-hmm. and it's it is really so don't... boring. I mean, yeah. you, you, you know, it's interesting. You know, I was obviously one of the things I criticised King Kong about was the fact it was too long mm. and too yeah. indulgent. You've got the same problem here in 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 the fact that um, you, you know I really enjoyed the the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which you know obviously was yeah. a trilogy of books in the first place, and uh, you know really really good faithful adaptations and uh, obviously very much a passion project again with uh, with uh, Fran Walsh and um, uh, Peter Jackson but um, the Hobbit films did I enjoy them not at all I was actually bored out of my mind through them did they need to be three movies three long movies at that no not really Um, you know and and it did just feel like retreading of ground for 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 the sake of it um i think it would have been interesting to see what again another wonderfully interesting film director that i hope we talk about at some point but guelmo del toro who's obviously now a a bafta and an oscar winner now we're um now we're recording this but um yeah you, you, you know, I think it would have been really interesting to see what he'd done. In fact, one of the things I find quite interesting as well is what obviously Universal went to Peter Jackson back in 95 and said, look, you know, you can either make um, Creature from the Black Lagoon or, or King Kong. And obviously King Kong was his favourite film that he's made. I, I've, I've been lucky enough to 
see um, uh, Del Toro in a Q&A. And, uh, you know, one of his most influential films from his childhood was Creature from the Black Lagoon, <laughs> interestingly <laughs> enough. So, um, so, so so there you go. But, uh, yeah, yeah. It, the, these, these films just felt, I thought, unnecessary. Yes, they, 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 they were a cash grab. I mean, they were absolutely a cash grab. They, they, they could have just gone with two films or even one film. But because they went, oh, we got to have a trilogy because Lord of the Rings was a trilogy. And this is this is what we're buying into. We're buying into the Lord of the Rings vibe. We're doing The Hobbit. We're going back to Middle Earth. We're, you know. And I don't think um, Peter Jackson's heart was in it that much. No, I agree. I, yeah. he, I think he originally he was just going to be executive producer on mm-hmm. it and let uh, Guillermo del Toro do it. And I think that would probably have been the better way of doing it. But the... Galimo wanted to do it as two films, not three. Yeah. But the studio wanted three. Yeah. They wanted that, that extra, extra film ticket. to make that extra yeah, money. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And, of course, you know, they had to do it all in the what was Vogue at the time with the whole 3D and all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I, I, you know, I feel, I feel the same way about this. I mean, you, you know, some again, some people hate me that I don't like the Hobbit films, but I, I just really don't. There's nothing there's nothing that excites me in, in at all. And then the other thing I didn't like was them sort of, um, you know, retroactively trying to insert characters from Lord of the Rings yes. into this yeah. that, that weren't even in The Hobbit. <laughs> you, you know, and yo, know, let's let's get you know Orlando Bloom back because no one will notice the fact that he's like you know fifteen years older or whatever it is by now. You know, it's it's it, and a character that's not supposed to age or whatever, and this is a prequel. <laughs> so yeah, you, you know, <laughs> and 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 also we're gonna put in a uh, a lady elf in there uh, so she can fall in love with one of the beardless dwarfs. You know. Was that an addition? Like, I, yeah. I, I, that was an addition. Yeah, that's an addition. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it it didn't need it. It it, it almost felt like you know <laughs> we'll, we'll go there again. But you know, like um, you you get a really good trilogy and then they make a prequel trilogy, so you kind of know where it's going and it all feels a tad unnecessary. It's not that journey's not as interesting yeah. as the one that, that that we embarked on originally. <laughs> yeah. It's, and you know the other thing I I I didn't like about the the first Hobbit film was uh, so when they did the scene with Gollum, they never used the sh- they never recreated the shot that they used at the beginning. Oh of yes, Earth. yes. We never got to. They never did anything close to that shot. I was like, what? the yeah, fuck? Yeah, because that would seem like the the sensible thing to do. Yeah. Um. Weird. Yeah. I mean, it's. I know you can't get. Um, Ian Holm to come and do it. I mean, you've got somebody else playing Bilbo, but just recreate that shot. Why? Why not recreate that shot? It's a great shot of him finding the ring. But no, they, you know, ah, uh, this is this saying else. I mean, that scene was great. I mean, it was great to see Andy Circus back as as Gollum, and you know, it 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 did that scene did play very well. And uh, it, I think that was, you know, that that was good to see that scene. But a lot of the rest of the film was, you know, it, as you say, it, it's, it was treading old water. Yeah. It, you know, again, not you know, I mean, these have huge budgets anyway. But you know, you know, not a badly made film by any means. You know, they're no. they're fine, but just, uh, uh, I, I mean, you know, I, I just, I, I really wasn't that interested, and uh, 
the the one that you picked, the last one, um, I actually, I have to confess, I actually dozed off uh, in the cinema during, and and that that yeah. takes it takes a lot for me to fall asleep in a movie, no matter how bad it is. Yeah, it is a real big deal. And normally, if I if if I ever did do that, I'd want to instantly go back and rewatch it. But I've had no desire to go back and see these films. I've not watched them on. Um, home video uh you know since they've come out i've I, you know I, I saw them once each at the cinema um i saw the yeah. middle one in hfr 3d uh and i chose not to see the last one in that <laughs> um and yeah i was just i just i just found them dull and 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 quite boring really and and uh yeah, I, I would say, uh, you, you know, even though I picked obviously Kong as movie hell, because uh, I knew you'd pick this and we d- we agreed yeah. we didn't want to each pick a different like Hobbit film, <laughs> Hobbit film. for hell because that, that, that wouldn't be fair. But, um, but, no. but you know, I would far so- sooner sit through King Kong than I would these films again, personally, you know. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I know where you're coming from. And it's a shame because, you know, um, it, you know, I do think, Peter Jackson is a great filmmaker, but uh, yeah, I, I do feel that uh, you know maybe maybe exec producer of this um, and consultant or whatever would have been a better role than actually you, you know directing it and and giving us what we got. Yeah, but as I say, there's the I, the studio. Oh, it's a business. Yeah, it's 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 yeah. the business. Yeah. It's, this is not a uh, independent yeah. wingnut film or whatever. This is this is uh, yeah a, 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 a studio flick and um, uh, yeah, <laughs> and and I think that's why uh, Del Toro left as well, wasn't it? Was because he wanted mm. to do the like you said the two parter or whatever. Two but um, yeah. there was pressure to make it a trilogy. So um, and very over bloated. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, and then of course now, uh, no idea what he's sort of working on. I hear, I believe he's working on the next Tintin film with uh, Spielberg, but uh, and according to IMDb, there is a untitled World War Two documentary. Oh no, World War One documentary. But there's All nothing right. in the there's, there's nothing out there saying what he's doing next if he is doing anything. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Hmm. Maybe he's taking a break. <laughs> Finally, yeah, maybe yeah, maybe, maybe yeah. he is. Maybe it's like, maybe it's like, well, what do I? What can I do next? What What do I want to do? Hmm. And he's not. He's not. Uh, he's not encroached on the world of television like uh, like most directors have of late. No, just having no, a look. Not I'm just I having can, a look. Not that oh, I can tell. That's, uh I mean, I'm I'm looking at his director's credits. Uh, yeah, you're right. There doesn't seem to be anything uh, in development or anything, according to this. Hmm. Well, I know he's the producer of uh, Mortal Engines, but uh, he's but that's it. It's just producing. Maybe it's what he wants to do. It's just sort of produce stuff and not uh, be in the director's chair. Who knows? Who knows? Mm. But I mean, if that's that's his choice, because I mean, hey, he's earned it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, he's got a very good body of work. It's you know, it's surprising to think that the guy who started off making bad taste 
went and made Heavenly Creatures and then went and made Lord of the Rings. Nobody could predict that kind of career. No, absolutely. Um, yeah, well, you know, he's 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 done well. He's definitely uh, an inspiring and, and influential uh, filmmaker. And, um, you know, for the most part, I really enjoy his films. Um, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I'm totally with you. Hobbit, I really struggled with. Um, <laughs> yes. You know, King Kong, as I said, I've just got my, my reasons, which I wish I could articulate better than I have, but um, uh, I've got my reasons. Oh, I think you t- articulated them very well. And, uh, yeah, and we'll see where we uh, we go, I guess. I hope you enjoyed uh, us going over a director's work again. We're, we are planning to do more. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. But uh, even, even though even though we've had loads of sort of offshoot episodes, we've still, you know, obviously film, whether it's, you, you know, the history side, the filmmaking side, the people involved, you know, you know the genres, it's, it's such a big topic that um, there is quite literally so much stuff we can we can talk about and uh and scratch the surface of and um you know we, we've had the opportunity to get some interesting guests on and um yeah you, you know we always do try in most cases to bring it back to something involving movie heaven and movie hell even if it's not talking about a specific director so um you know, we always try and have that there, and it's always you and me, Simon. So it's it it it, it, it is what go. it is, right? <laughs> yes, I just wanted to say that we we're going to be dropping the A to Z stuff just because it is with with everything else that's going on. Uh, it is sometimes difficult to you know see the work of a director we're not uh, sort of that well known with, and uh, that was kind of the case of why it's been sort of we've not done many of these recently so uh we're kind of dropping the a to z and we'll be so we'll know, be picking them at random we'll will we? yeah yes because we're still yeah. going to do yeah. directors heaven hell oh, but God, not yeah. not yeah because yeah. I, I mean i guess you know the 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 what we did because we sort of both grew up in the same generation with the same sort of influences was uh we went with the usual suspects i guess or the you know the the, the the, what you'd expect in the first pass of the alphabet and then uh you know there are a lot i mean there are some letters that there's dozens of film directors to talk about and then there's others which there's there's fewer there's, of there's but none. it's the it's the homework yeah. it's the balance and the homework with a day job and trying to do your own filmmaking as well that's the uh the tricky bit when you yes. haven't seen all of the films of some classic director and then you think I want to do it a proper service and go back and watch everything before I pick one. And that can take some time sometimes. <laughs> I, yeah, it takes a lot <laughs> But I'm all for discovering new uh, stuff as well. So, um, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's Oh, yeah. It's so, it, it, yeah, so we'll, we'll be mixing it up, but we it won't be like uh, the A to Z. Fair enough. Just, just, just to give us a, a chance. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, you know, we'll, we'll never get through. The, the second round of uh, of the A to Z, but uh, yes, do expect more of these. Uh, you know, our, our regular episodes to come, but uh, we have so much more coming we do. as well. We've got so, some very uh, yeah. very interesting guests lined up uh, in the coming months. So uh, yeah, please stay tuned for that. Indeed. 
So, Keith, where can people find your work? Okay, if you go to YouTube and put in British Isles, E-Y-L-E-S, as in my last name, uh, there are some short films on there that I've made. Um, Also, put my name into IMDB and you can see other projects that I've worked on. Projects. (laughs) (laughs) And as always, you can find my work at independentrunnings.com. Uh, You can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, and all good podcast providers. Uh, You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. And please leave us a rating and review on iTunes and Stitcher. It all helps. So, um, also, I have a bit of news that I just want to sort of leave on. Uh, I actually... uh, shot the final scene to my my feature last week you did congratulations on that by the way yes well done seven years in the making yeah more or less (laughs) oh so you could have you could have done the lord of the rings trilogy in that time (laughs) (laughs) guess so yeah yeah no well done though well done on getting that uh finished it's very hard to do when uh when you when you're doing it all on your own and you have no backing and money and you have to find your own time to do it. I, I totally get that. And I, ad, uh, I admire anyone that, um, that achieves it. So well done, matey. Thank you. Thank you. And now, so it's all in the can. So it's just, uh, we're in post-production now, even though most of the post-production on these stories have been done. So, you know, we're, we're well ahead on that. So, uh, hopefully fingers crossed the film will be ready for the summer. So, uh, and no doubt we'll have podcasts uh, oh, yes. delving yeah. into this, correct? That's right. We 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 will have podcasts with the cast and crew, um, and uh, sort of talking about their career. And because uh, I've I've had the opportunity to work with you know some really really good you know actors and and crew, and you know I even work with Keith. <laughs> oh, I was I was involved somehow. Yeah, whatever. You know. <laughs> yeah keeps going Uh, yeah yeah Mm. there you go uh so uh as we say uh look forward to seeing uh to hearing those episodes uh as well as uh the other guests we have lined up and of course more of our looks at uh the work of directors so uh thank you for listening and uh join us on the next episode of movie heaven movie hell in the middle of the earth in the land of shire lives a brave little hobbit whom we all admire with his long wooden pipe fuzzy woolly toes he lives in a hobbit hole and everybody knows him bilbo bilbo baggins he's only three feet tall bilbo bilbo baggins Bravest little hobbit of them all Now hobbits are peace-loving folks, you know They're never in a hurry and they take things slow They don't like to travel away from home They just like to eat and be left alone But one day Bilbo was asked to go On a big adventure to the caves below To help some dwarves get back their gold That was stolen by a dragon in the days of old Old Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins Only three feet tall Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins The bravest little hobbit of them all Well, he fought with the goblins 
he battled a troll. He riddled with Gollum. A magic ring he stole. He was chased by wolves, lost in the forest, escaped in a barrel from the elf king's halls. Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins, the bravest little hobbit of them all. That brave little hobbit whom we all admire Just sitting on a treasure of silver and gold Puffing on his pipe in his hobbit Ho, ho, Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins He's only three feet tall 